Amen. You can grab a seat. Glad you're here. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. And uh, last week, you know, I, I started by just sharing a little bit about how excited I was to see you and how sweet it is to be in this room with you people. And I said it because I felt it. This week, however, I'm saying it because it's kind of the point of the sermon, and, and we do need to understand it and kind of invest in it a little bit. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen, and we will be jumping around in Philippians a lot. So if you're not fleet of finger, you can't see real well in the dark, just, you know, use the screens. As we look at a topic that I think a lot of people dabble in. It's like abide. You know, last week we talked about how a lot of people are not unfamiliar with the concept of knowing the Lord or trusting the Lord or seeking the Lord some kind of daily, you know, we talk about God time, some kind of daily interaction with God. You know, we're trying to do this as the 5% life, this starting point for people, and we hope that it's a reminder, you know, that it's something that you've maybe seen before. If not, I'm, I'm so excited we have the joy of kind of leading you into that experience. But we talk about 1% of, of your day, maybe just 15 minutes to get started, just a daily practice of checking in with the Lord, seeing Him. We try to make that possible for you, very easy for you with our website. We have a little God Time tab. If you click it about every day, you'll get some kind of something. I, I, I write them. It's, we just take a couple verses of Scripture. We meditate on them for a couple of paragraphs, and we give you a little prayer prompt. Boop. It's nice and easy, little something you can just take every day as a way to get you started on what I hope will then, like the video says, you know, that 5% is just a starting point. If you, if you will invest in that way, the rest of your 90, other 95% of your life will be changed. If you start investing in that life, if you start investing in that love, Psalm 63, you'll start to be satisfied with his steadfast love. You'll start to taste something that you'll find yourself seeking more fully. Well, I think you can make the same case for the way that we interact with the church. If you look around you at the other people that are close to you, maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Maybe you know the person like right next to you, but maybe from outside the church. So, so maybe look past that person. And, and the other people that are in the room, because they're also part of Hope Church, the Hope Church community, let me ask you how much you're getting out of that relationship. Would you say the people around you are, are friends, acquaintances? I think we're leaving a lot of money on the table when it comes to the joy that we get out of the church. Here's my, here's my case for it. Paul says in Philippians 4, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, do you have any of these words for the people that are around you? He starts by talking about them as his brothers, brothers and sisters. I was driving down the road uh, yesterday and I saw a church that's pretty close to us here. And it's a church where I know the guy and he started it around the same time that we started Hope Church. And so there's a part of me, God forgive me, that doesn't just see them as a sister church. There's a part of me that sees them as sort of like a measuring stick against which we can compare ourselves. How far have they gotten? How far are we getting? I, 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 do I want them to do really well? Yeah, yes, yes. 
but you see it, right? Like, you know, the fact that you're saying it, it's like, okay, are you telling me or are you convincing yourself? You know, like you want them to do well. And I thought about it. I was like, no, no, no. I, I need to con- instruct my heart here. I'm just sharing a little of my sin with you. They are our brothers and sisters. They are people that I, I should not only be wanting to succeed in and praying for, but they are people that we need to be ready if they do hit a bump to jump in. That we should want them to do well, even if it means that stuff slows down here. That, that we should care enough about them in the same way that you would about a sibling. And, and again, maybe this is messy for you. <laughs> I don't know what your relationship with your siblings are like. But ideal you know, relationship with your sibling would be that you do want them to succeed. Even if it means that you lose a little limelight. Even if it means that their are wonderful things that are happening for them come at some sort of expense for you. I don't know. Do you feel that about the people that are around you? Paul obviously felt something like that for this this church that he helped to plant, but these people that he's addressing, not as apostle to people, even though that's kind of referenced a little bit in the crown, and we'll talk about that, but he's talking to them as Christian to Christian. He's very clear about what brings them together, what their relationship is founded on. Calls them brothers. Then he talks about how he loves them and he longs for them. Those don't always go together. Oh, I love them, and I'm real glad they live on the other side of the country. I love them, but oh, they're calling again. Okay, hang on. Golly. Hey, you know, like we, we love them, but do you long for them? Nah. There was a really sweet moment in a sitcom race and I liked. They were talking about, they didn't just say I love you. They'd say I love you, and I like you. Well, I mean, don't those go together? We all know. No, they definitely don't always go together. But Paul is saying that about the Philippians. He doesn't just love them. He longs for them. If he wasn't in a jail in Rome right now, do you know where he wants to be? Oh, he longs for them. Do you long for the people around you? It's kind of sappy language, but it's biblical. Do you long for the people around you? Then he says that they're his joy. I mean, you know, there's so much overlap semantically in, in some of these different concepts, but he's talking about love, long for, and joy. Does, do you end some of the interactions you have with the people around you and go like, hmm, joy. <laughs> I'm filled up in some way because of this interaction, because of this relationship, because of these people and crown. Like I say, we'll talk about this in just a second. Then he tells them to keep going. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord. He, he exhorts them. And again, he is an apostle that is speaking to a church that he planted. He is a leader over these people. But he's just modeling also, it's very clear throughout the book of the Philippians, that, that Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are people who are modeling what we're all supposed to be doing for one another, that they are in, he's encouraging. He's, he's speaking into their life in order to encourage them to keep going. Do you, do you speak to one another with a sort of responsibility to remind each other about what we're here for? What's really important? What's really going on? Do you feel a common sense, not just of joy and longing and love, do you feel a common sense of mission? That in the eyes of the other people in this room, you see something of the spark, something of the need, something of the longing for the mission that we're on. 
And then he finishes by calling them his beloved, like he can't even stop saying it. It starts with brothers, there's love in the middle, and he ends with beloved. I mean, he can't, he can't stop because he, he feels this. What he feels towards these people. Do you, does, does your relationship with the other people in this room mirror this sentiment in any way? If so, great. Again, you know, let's just start somewhere. We, God loves small beginnings. We do too. Let's start somewhere. Do you have that a little bit? If so, let's start to invest in it. If something is, it's something that you haven't looked at yet, it's not something that you've invested in yet, okay. But you're leaving money on the table. You're leaving love on the table. You're leaving joy on the table and just walking out. So let's, let's collect those things. Let's enjoy those things. And I would say biblically, let's maybe ask some deeper questions about your relationship with, with the Lord if you don't have any kind of desire for these relationships. Paul goes on. He, he's, he describes how this may not always go super great. He says in Philippians 4, 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. Yes, I did have to look up the pronunciation of those names. Uh, to agree in the Lord. I ask you also, a true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of all my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It's just not something you take for granted. You know, the book of 1 Corinthians, which we're going to go into next, is the book written to a church that is a freak show. It is a crazy place. And you can tell because the stuff he's addressing, you're like, man, we don't even have that problem at Hope Church. How, how crazy must the church of Corinth be? If you read Philippians, though, this is clearly a church that was doing pretty good. They're commended for their generosity. They're commended for their stance in the gospel. They're commended all over the place. Paul is seeing them as some, a church that's like a healthy church that's doing it right. And yet, they're not a church that's just knocking it out when it comes to unity. And that's a big deal. It, it's something that ends up happening here in the end of Philippians in chapter 4. He's describing this internal, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, this argument this total separation, we don't really know how serious it is, but it makes it into Scripture that happens between these two women who are not like fringe characters here. They're not people with a ton of problems that have just recently shown up and the gospel is just starting to work on them. These are people who work side by side with the Apostle Paul. And the unity that they have is not a, a foregone conclusion. It's not something that's obvious and definitely going to happen. It's something that has to be guarded. It's something that has to be protected. And by God's grace, I mean, I, I wish that they didn't have this disagreement, but he gives us in their disagreement Paul's writing to address it. And, and as you hit this 4, 2, and 3 verse, you see this big issue that Paul's finally starting to deal with. And then you can kind of, as you reread the letter, see that he's been dealing with this issue throughout the letter, that he's been prepping us for this final um, entreaty. Uh, this command for these two people to agree in the Lord. He, he's already laid the groundwork for it. So again, we, we only have so much time this morning, but we're going to kind of quickly skip through Philippians and see the groundwork that he's laid. What, what is this relationship that can bring you so much joy, love, and longing that a lot of us honestly are just not really tapping into? This giant bank account that you've got the debit card for and you're just not using. Okay, Here, here's what he describes. If you go back to chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 27, after some stuff about their enemies, about his imprisonment, uh, some greeting type stuff, Paul begins, uh, not the letter, there's all kinds of wonderful stuff above verse 27, but he says in verse 27, only 
let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's already begun. He's talking about how they should continue in a life worthy of the gospel, and he describes the way they're going to go about it as a a common remembering of the one thing, the one spirit, the one mind. When you say in one mind that you're thinking the same way, that you have an agreement together, that you're, you're, you're collectively focused on one thing, Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That, that there is something basic that's going to be pulling them all together. And, and he repeats them. So it, it kind of goes in a little bit of another way for a second. And then in verse uh, chapter 2 of Philippians and in verses 1 and 2, he sort of leads into the most famous part of Philippians, which is 5 through 11 here in just a second. And, and again, I, I say famous, and, and maybe you've read this stuff before. Maybe you haven't. I'm, I'm thrilled if you haven't to be able to kind of show it to you. But It says in Philippians 2, verse 1, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he's describing again almost the same thing, this idea of oneness, this one focus, this central mind, the central spirit that's supposed to make up the people. And if you read this, that verse 1 there, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, well, of course there's encouragement in Christ. If there's any comfort from love, well, of course there's comfort from love. If there's any participation in the Spirit, well, of course. If there's any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy. And I think it's worth taking a second to see how that argument actually works out. Because if you read it, there's a part of you that thinks he's saying like, well, if the ocean's got water, then you better do this. If Amazon's got money, then you better If Germans like rules or white people like Subarus, then you better do this thing. But that's not actually the argument. He's saying, if you are alive at all, if there's any relationship here at all, if there is, then there will be these things. These things will be present, even if it's just even if it's just the beginning, even if all you've done is begun this relationship with the other people and the small beginnings, right? If you look around this room and you go like, I don't know, but a little, okay. If even a little, all of these things are going to be present. If, if you've got any Christ, then there's going to be encouragement. If you've got any love, there's going to be comfort. If you've got any of the Spirit, there's going to be participation. You're going to start to build this affection and sympathy, We've got what we need to get going here. He goes a little further in what these same thoughts and these same loves and this one mind is going to produce. He says in verses 3 and 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. I think this is the big speed bump on this road. You know, so far we're just talking about all these wonderful things. And then he starts talking about humility. Not doing anything from selfish ambition or conceit. I don't know if I've ever done anything without selfish ambition or conceit. But we're not supposed to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility to count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Now he's not just describing what these things look like. He's starting to say what you're going to have to do here. And it's a bitter pill. You're saying, man, it does sound really nice to have a really loving relationship with the people around me. You know, a lot of people in Salt Lake City are from somewhere else. Or they lived somewhere else for a long time, now they're back. And when you do that, you know you do. You long for a relationship. Maybe you've been here the whole time, but your life has kind of changed. You know, all your friends got married, or you got married, and none of them did. And, and you're kind of looking for some community. It sounds nice. You'd like to build that. Why don't you? Well, you know, this is a big part of it. And it really makes it tough. It's hard to be humble. It's hard to build these relationships for their sake rather than just for your own. It's hard when building the relationship biblically is going to require serving them. Ah, The whole point of this was for it to be fun. I want to go to your house because you have fun games and it smells okay and there's, there's like good food. I want to go to your house because it's good, not because it's hard. And so you don't. But look what he says. No, 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 no. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, not looking to your own interests, but in humility counting others more significant than yourself. How do we get that? Where does that come from? And I think you can also put that question together with what we said so far. He's talking about this one mind. He's talking about the same spirit. He's talking about this affection and comfort and participation that we're gathered in together. But it's all kind of begging a question, isn't it? To say you all agree and everybody goes, mm, mm, mm. okay, but what are we agreeing on? I know we are agreeing, but what are we agreeing on? It's not just a fact that we agree. We're agreeing on something, and that something is the thing that's going to keep us in agreement. What is the thing that we have one mind about? Well, (laughs) verse 5, he brings it back again. He says, have this mind among yourselves. What is the mind? Well, here you go, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. This is the famous part I was talking about. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above Every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is the common mind? What is the one thing? Jesus. The one thing, the one example, but not just example, the one that we're all in a family with, the the one central hub that all of these spokes are coming off of, the one beautiful, bright center that all of our eyes together are focused on, the one thing, the source from which all of this love, all of this joy, all of this commonality is coming from is Jesus. He's not just your example. That's the one big break here. Paul is just your example. Jesus is not just your example. He is your example. He's not less than that. He is your example. He's telling us to be humble, and then he gives us the example of Christ who humbled himself by becoming a person. God 
very God of very God, that we describe God as God, that nothing else is God, but God is God. He's completely broken from, separate from all of creation. We will never be God. None of us ever came from that. He is God, and Jesus is God. This is part of that Trinity thing we talk about, Jesus being God, and that Jesus then becomes man. He, he takes upon himself not only a divine nature, but also a human nature, and being found as a human he then models for us humility, and he does it in an extreme way. What is humility? Humility is to go low. It's to serve other people. And that's what he does. He goes low. He goes as low as a human. He goes as low as death. He goes as low as a shameful execution death. He goes as low as drinking the wrath of the Father for our sin. You can't go that low. This is where the example stops, and this is where the love starts. This is where the uniqueness emerges. You know, you can look at each other and compare yourselves together. Uh, we'll talk about that in the next series. You, you can't really do that well because it's not apples to apples. It's always apples to oranges. But you know, you kind of compare yourself to other people, you see these other people, and you realize you're kind of all here. But when you get to the example of Christ, you see that He wasn't here. He was something totally different, totally singular. A one who didn't have to do any of this stuff to get to heaven. He was already there. But then empties Himself and then serves to the point that He drinks the wrath of God on our behalf. Totally new, totally separate totally divine, a thing worthy of all of us putting our eyes on. Because the point of all of this, the point of your abiding, the point of your uh, loving together, the point of our loving them, the world, abide, love, multiply, the point of all of this is this faith that we have together in what God has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God makes a way for us to be forgiven. I mean, you're not perfect. There's a reason love feels like a foreign language to you. It shouldn't, but it does. Why? Man, our hearts are broken, man. Remember the Grinch? We just went through Christmas. Maybe you rewatched it. Now, there's all kinds of Grinches now, and the uh, Jim Carrey one is terrifying. But if you go all the way back to the original one, it talks about how his heart was two sizes, ten sizes, too small. And then when he finally, he's, you know, holding the sled, and if you don't, if this doesn't mean anything to you, just go with me. But he's, he's holding the sled of all of Whoville's Christmas, and there's a point at which he finally gets it, and his heart grows, and they, they bring in the x-ray machine to, like, show you his heart, and it grows, 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 so that it pops out of the x-ray machine. No? Okay. Well, <laughs> you and I are Grinchish. We're not Whoish. We're Grinchish in the sense that love for us, it's not an, a normal thing. It is if it's selfish ambition and conceit. It is if the person you're marrying looks really good, you know, on your arm. It is if these kids are really impressive and you get to tell people that these are your kids, you know, and pay for nicer haircuts or whatever. It is, it is if there's selfish ambition in it. But what if it's not? What if these are terrible people that you have to love? What if you do have to humble yourself to love? What if there's nothing in it for you? And it really is just love. Well, no. 
We need something alien. We need something outside to instruct us in that kind of love. And do you see that that's what God has given us in Christ? Not just an example, but a place where our broken love encounters divine love. And because of what Jesus did, we can be forgiven. We can be made clean as though we had always loved right. He can put a new heart in us. He can make our hearts grow. And so this is now what we do with each other. We, we go down. Jesus humbled himself, and Paul, he already gave the command, you're supposed to humble yourself. You're supposed to live in that same humility. We're supposed to go down with each other. We're supposed to be willing to serve one another. Now, again, I make the funny things about going to somebody's house that's maybe not the most fun place to be. Great. That's not that bad, really. But Paul, in this whole letter, is showing us time and again that that the Christian life isn't just spending time with each other, even if it's not super convenient. It's also confronting one another. What is it to go low is to spend enough time with somebody to say, hey, in humility, I'm not great either, but I think this is a place that you need to change, bud. You know, I'm seeing some anger here that just, gosh, it just seems out of proportion to the situation. You know, I'm really seeing a lot of selfishness with the way you're spending your time. That kind of confrontation, I think I would rather do like my own dental surgery. <laughs> pastors, I, I think people assume pastors are like busybodies. We want to be in everybody's life and telling them what to do. No, no. Most of us get into this because we want to be like admired by you and then have this kind of nice moment where you admire us and we admire you and then you go away. You know, we don't have to <laughs> spend that much time really investing in each other's lives. But God forgive us. That's the opposite of what's being described by Christ. What he's describing is that we get into each other's life and say, I want you to say your mean thing back because there's a ton of stuff that I need to change too. But before Christ who saved me, I, I really need to tell you to agree in the Lord. It's not okay for you just to keep being mad at this person. To continue, to hold, to hold fast here, bud. I, th I think you're slowing down. I think you're de-accelerating when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. That's going to require a ton of humility for us to do that with one another, but this is what he's calling us to. And if we go down, then we go up. You see that Jesus goes down, therefore, and he goes down further down than any of us could ever go. He goes all the way down, and yet going all the way down, therefore, God raises him up, and he gives him a name that's above every name. So in the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. That's, again, this idea of him being above us. You're never going to be him. Look at what he gets. He gets all the way to the top, and all the rest of us for all of eternity are looking up at Him, not around at each other or in a mirror at ourselves. We're looking up at Him. And we're starting that now. What is the thing that we all have in common? We've all got the same angle on our necks. We're all looking up at Him. We're all enjoying this same love from Him. It's the same example that we're supposed to go out and do. And, and man, this is, this is what we then need to do. How do you go about it? Well, here's how I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it as a weekend. Friday night, Saturday day, morning, and Sunday morning. When you look around at the people around you, this is just a starting point, but it's a starting point. You need to enjoy them. You need to serve them, and you need to encourage them. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Here's what I mean by that. Friday, you need to enjoy them. 
hey, you're not always supposed to be like only hanging out with believers. Of course, we're going to talk about that next week. But do you see the people around you as your people? Are these your friends? When it's Friday night and you want to be up, are these the people you call? They would have been for Paul. He loved them and he longed for them. He enjoyed them. Do you enjoy the people around you? This is supposed to be like a fun command. Go and enjoy the people around you. They're wonderful. Yeah, of course, we've all got like, you know, weird corners and and maybe not super fun parts of our personalities. But God has given each of these people as a gift to you. Do you enjoy each other? Enjoy each other. Friday night, spend time with each other. Two, serve one another. Saturday. What do you do on Saturday morning? Well, hopefully you're sleeping in. But usually, you know, you're at a kid's soccer game or a kid's basketball game. Or this is the time when we can be serving one another. Are you the person that somebody else calls when it's time to paint something or fix something or clean something? Or are you the person that's got enough time on a Saturday morning to grab a cup of coffee and just hear somebody out about their marriage? Hear somebody out about their relationship with their kid. Be open enough that they feel like they can be open back. It's not our job to fill up our whole calendar with just each other. We're going to, you know, next week is coming. We're going to talk about multiply. But there's enough time for you to be serving one another, be caring for one another. And then, of course, encouraging one another. Sunday morning, God has given you, and again, we're going to go nuts on this next series. He has given you a gift in the body to be something for all these other people, to serve one another, to encourage one another in the Lord. And, and this is what's so crazy, if you'll do, you say, well, I don't enjoy any of these people. I can't do number one, but I can do number two and number three. Can I tell you that if you do number two and number three, it goes back around and you actually do start to enjoy these people? That's what always happens. You start to serve them. Oh, dang it. You start to encourage them. Ah, I didn't want it, but I kind of like them. You know, I'm cheering for them. I want things to go better in their world. Well, okay, that's what I'm talking about. And this little cycle continues and continues and continues until the Lord is able to say that the world knows we're his disciples by our love for one another. Okay, listen. The, the, the outpouring of agreeing in the Lord, the outpouring of serving and encouraging and loving one another, enjoying one another, it all comes back to that, that one thing, that one mind that we have in common, that one Lord that we serve together. What we're going to do now is we're going to transition into a time of the Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is us drinking the same drink and eating the same food together. It's a reminder, a physical, in-your-mouth taste, in-your-belly reminder of what we all have in common, that we have accepted the same Lord, the same Spirit, the same baptism. And that's why we we also respect what Paul commands about the Lord's Supper. If if you're not a believer, if you're new to Christianity and you're kind of just understanding and thinking through this, if if you're not somebody who believes in Christianity in the same way that we do, we would ask you not to take the Lord's Supper this morning. It's not going to be weird. It's super easy. Just stay where you are. But if you're somebody who has put all of your faith and all of your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, we would encourage you in this time. What we're going to do, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, the band's going to come back up. Take a moment to just reflect. Ask the Lord to give you some sight on your life and, 
And take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Maybe take a moment to repent of some stuff. To just reconnect with the Lord. To remember why you're doing what you're doing. And if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, that's a great sort of symbol that you don't need to take the Lord's Supper. But if you do understand it and you are going to take it, take a moment to prepare your heart. And then when you're ready, as the band's playing, when you're ready, hop up, get the elements, the cracker and the juice, and then sit back down and just hold on to them. And then I'll come up and lead us together through it. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would unite your people, that you would give us the pleasure of looking around your church and saying, these are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight, that we would love and long for one another, and that in doing so, Father, as just one more point of health in the community that you've built, your name would be glorified, your church would be built up, the world would be impacted, that this would be a place that's sweet, and that that sweetness is attractive. Lord, as we go into this time of the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would remind us about our common salvation, our common parent, that you would remind us about the things that unite us, the one mind that we have together, that we would take it in a worthy manner, that people who don't need to take it wouldn't take it this morning and that they wouldn't feel any guilt about that, but maybe curiosity that would lead to some questions that we could answer together. But But for those that you have called to take the supper this morning, Father, I pray that we would take it in a worthy manner and that your church will be built up for your glory. Pray these things in your son's holy name.